welcome to this week's episode of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and co-host, Mr. Marty Miller. Marty, how are you? I'm great, Wendy. Thank you. Hope you're doing well today. Yes, things are good. And today's topic is small group training. And I feel that this is actually a great time to talk about small group training, especially because we're getting towards the end of the year where people are starting to think about what they can do for the upcoming year to maybe increase their revenue or change up what they're doing. So I think this is a good time to discuss it. And I know you and I both have a lot of um, experience with small group training. So this should be a good one. Yeah, I truly believe that the fitness professionals today have to do some level of education in that realm. You know, Wendy, you and I have been at this a long time. When I first got into fitness coming out of sports medicine, at first, I really didn't put much thought into small group training. It was one-on-ones. But coming out of baseball, I kind of was doing small group training or large group training without the skill set, right? I had 25 athletes that I was trying to get warmed up, stretched through their different training progressions. A lot of this information would have helped me. But now that there's the boutique studios, the, you know, small group, high intensity type of trainings or whatever it is, having this knowledge is critical. I truly believe for all people in this space. Yeah, and I think it is an easy way to grow your your business. If you're wanting to kind of expand and do something different, one-on-one is always something that I'm very passionate about because I can really dive in and help someone feel better, move better, look at their assessments. But when you start doing group training, it sometimes the accountability is there because they're coming in with their friends. It makes life a little bit easier. It's more fun. There's different conversations and engagement. However, there is a skill set to it for sure. And if you really want to master that, I mean, I helped someone open multiple clubs in Arizona doing this and he was very profitable. It was a lot of fun for me, but you also have to be really good with multitasking. So we want to keep that in mind too. <laughs> no, it's fun for sure. It's, it's a good break a change going from one-on-one to kind of small group. There's a lot of benefits to that. So you know, we look at small group training, you know, a lot of it was derived from the military boot camps when you and I've done some topics on boot camps. But, you know, don't think that small group has to always be high intensity. It could be any phase of the OPT model. It could be any skill set that you may have. But that's where this originally came from. You know, but we have to look at what is the desired outcome for the small group instructor. When you look at price, right, you can offer your hourly rate and divide it into smaller percentages. And sometimes you can add a premium because people are paying less, but you have a little more work to do as far as programming as well as, you know, the coaching. So you can save people money, but make yourself more money. Then there will be, of course, more people per session and then find your niche. When he used to do a lot of corrective exercise, like progressions, and then I would do some boxing and kickboxing because I had that background. So I'd get people warmed up through different movement progressions, and then we would hit the pads. So you can find your niche. It's obviously very fun. But then when you flip it around, what's the desired outcome for the client? They can save money. And sometimes this gets people to be more active in fitness because they may not work out on their own, but they can't afford just one-on-one. So it gives them the opportunity to spread that discretionary income over more sessions. So it's awesome for them. Without a doubt, there's a sense of community. People like to train in a positive environment with other people. They get held accountable. And then, yes, there's absolutely that sense of fun. Yeah. And I think, too, one thing that you can also include is your environment. Where do you live? I know that if I lived by the beach, I would have people come out maybe and do beach workouts because obviously sand, it's very hard to do things in and move and you're working your muscles in a totally different fashion. Maybe it's super 
on the beach morning yoga and sun like sunrise yoga or if you're in more of a woodsy area and you have parks and everything around you take it outside if the weather is appropriate and something different sometimes we we just really think of what are we doing indoors in the walls of the gym that we work in and i think in, when you're thinking kind of boot campy type exercises it doesn't have to be that it can still be very centralized and focused based on different outcomes. It's just you have to be more creative in what you have available if you're not in an actual gym. So another way of thinking, what can you do to increase your income? And like you said, if if you can do a big group and you can manage 10 people and watch them all, think about 10 people paying you know, $15, $20. That's a lot of money for one hour in comparison to your one-on-one -on -one training session. So we want you to kind of open and expand your horizons and thought process of what can you do to make it fun for you, different for you, but also very good for the community, for sure. Yeah, great points, Wendy. And I think that's where people will appreciate this information, hopefully expand their business. So shocking that Wendy and I put this in here just because you're doing small groups doesn't mean you shouldn't do assessments, right? So there's, we're not going to cover every way you can do it, but you know, we'll cover a couple of key points. But you know, set up the room or workout space so that the participants are spread out. There's different ways to do that. They all should be able to face you and they should all have, uh, you know, clean lines of sight to be able to watch you move. But then you should be able to see eyes on everybody as well. Then you set everyone up in the proper 5K kinetic chain checkpoints and then have them do as a group or one by one by one set up, perform 10 squats, scan the room to see like the things that jump out the most, right? Small group is not one-on-one. -on -one. Now that doesn't mean we don't, we throw away all of the key things we learned in our certification, but you could do some one-on-ones and, or you could identify and talk to people say, Hey, in the future, if you ever want to come in just for a session, I've noticed X, Y, and Z, and we could create a program. I'd highly recommend not over pointing out one person in a group when people are compensating, like that's not the time to do that. Maybe you even have one-on-one uh, -on -one assessments before they go into the group, but there's ways to do it. And then you have to adjust your programming to benefit the most, the participants' compensations. And let's be honest, most people are going to have tight calves, tight hip flexors, tight adductors, tight lats, tight pecs. Then they're going to, you know, be weak in the glute max, glute medius, weak, weak in the deep core intrinsic stabilizers. They're going to need balance work, right? They're going to need mid-trap, low-trap postural type of work. So you're going to be able to do programming around that and hitting the majority of people with the widest brush. And I think that's also one way that as a instructor, if you have, let's say five people, if you line those five people in front of you and say, okay, good morning here. This is what we're going to start with. I want everyone raise your hands and give me 10 squats. And I want to see how your body's moving again. They're moving. You're already starting. You are scanning the room, like you said, Marty. And then it's like, all right, now let's go ahead and start stretching. Because you can see, are more people's feet turning out? Do you see an anterior pelvic tilt? Are their arms not able to maintain that upright position and they start to fall forward? And I think that's where you really want to be able to think about that solutions table, what muscles are causing and allowing certain things. You can be very pinpoint still in your programming, even though, like you said, it may not be individualized, Marty, but... It's individualized for the group and you know you might see a lot of different variations so you do have to be more creative or maybe hey for you you and you i want you to do this stretch while you 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 do this stretch for me hold it until i tell you to stop and i'll switch sides you know right. so there's a lot of different ways that you can do it to still make it very specific for that person in that small group no i love those ideas and i think again it's it's a change of pace it's fun but we can't forget 
the OPT model, right? Just because we go in a small group, we've talked about this countless different times. We don't just throw the model out. It's your best friend. So as a group, you can foam roll as a group, or you could have an area set up before the class. People are doing their own movement prep. Like when I was in my dojo, there was a small area that the people before the, the class that was finishing up, there was an area where we could do our movement prep. And I talked to my sensei and he put those type of tools in there. So different ways. Then flexibility as a group, easy. Core balance plyo, you're getting that active warm up. You could do some speed agility quickness to get the heart rate up. Then you can get into the body, the workout, the resistance training, whether it's bands, body weights, just a couple tools, or it could be where you have stations set up. You know, Wendy, you and I both know that there's countless different ways to set up some type of environment to where everybody has what they need. And then you can cool down. And that's really where you can have the sense of community too. You know, you're recapping what everybody did. You're maybe highlighting some people who achieved PRs or first times in things like that. So during that cool down, that's a great time to do a recap and set them up for maybe their next classes, you know, and, and, you know, the key thing here is be sure to include, or people won't do it. They'll, if you just end the class, they're likely to get there early and warm up, but a lot less will stay there and cool down afterwards. So get that foam rolling and static stretching in as a group for sure. And I think it's important to mention too, you have to think of what type of small group trainer you want to be. Because like you said, Marty, there are so many different variations of doing small group training. And we often see the stations, you know, station one, you're doing this, this, and this, and station two, you're doing this, and then you're doing it as the instructor, you're doing having them do this for time, and then they switch and rotate. That's the easiest way, in my opinion, to do something. However, I always make things super complicated. So when we were doing group training, we would have four or five people in my group. And I, because I felt very comfortable analyzing movement and got to know these people very well, I would set them up for one or two exercises, demo that, then go to the next person, then the next person, then the next person. And then everyone's doing something completely different in a small area where they just had to count for themselves. They knew the tempo, or I could say, hey, Marty, slow down. Hey, Ken, over here, do this. I want you to do that. Hey, watch your chin. I'm constantly moving around, but knowing what the next thing is for the, those individuals. So when I say multitasking, you had to always be on and know where you were going next. And it's not always easy to do in the bigger box gyms because you may not have that type of freedom, but that was a, a boutique type. That's all we did. Those five people or four people were the only ones in the, in the club at that time working those sessions. But that's what that was intended to do. So again, you want to be very careful in the way that you want to construct your, your training business, especially group training, but you also want it to be fun, make sense, and make sure that it's going to work in your space. Yeah, and be consistent with your queuing because, you know, as people come back and take more classes from you, they're going to understand if you're using the same terminology. So I think that's consistent. And maybe during the warm up, say, hey, during today's class, if I say this, this is what I mean. If I say that, this and then demonstrate it, right? So that way, as they're going through the class, they may not be able to see you depending on the body position, but they understand what those simple cues are. If you're consistent, they're going to start to anticipate it even before you say it. Indeed. So before we dive deep, just a quick reminder today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, we're talking about small group training with myself, Wendy Batson, Marty Miller. We talked about still being able to do assessments as well as programming, putting it all in there just because you're working with a majority of people in a small group instead of one-on-one -on -one doesn't mean we should just let the model and the process 
not be included in what we're doing. So now when we break down that one slide, let's talk about the flexibility continuum. As we know, in all five phases, we've started to incorporate more dynamic stretching. However, if you see during those 10 squats that you did, seeing that there was a lot of compensations in people, then start with some static stretches. That's very common, especially in group training. Maybe spend five minutes on rolling and stretching and doing some dynamic stretches. If you know your people are looking amazing, maybe add in some active stretching if you want. You just need to read the room, but don't forget to do the static stretching, especially if you see some compensations, because that's something that is very much needed and to instore proper range of motion in the joint. So when you're doing dynamic stretching, they're actually fully preparing the body as intended and not just going through available range of motion that they have available, which is limited. So we want to make sure that we're providing still the best care for our clients and best prep movements, especially in the, in the flexibility component, because oftentimes if you don't add it into your session, they will not do it. Without question in that static stretch, because people are holding positions longer and it's early on again, this gives you an opportunity to build a sense of community, it gives you an opportunity to talk about the workout that's coming, getting them very aware of their body and how to control muscles, right? Fire your glute, shoulders back. So you can really use that static as a slow build up to the rest that's coming. Because once you get into active and dynamic, the cues are, you know, they're not holding the positions as long. They got to move. That's when things become a little bit more exciting. So use that static as a time to really get a message across or messaging before you jump into the rest of the, of the workout. So then we get to, you know, the next phase, we're starting to get the body moving now. So we want to go with core first, because that's where all human movement should begin. Anything we're doing with our legs and our arms should be dialed into the core to begin with. So that's why we always have done that with NASM. So even if you're going to be doing some type of power level training, like I've talked to people about doing a boot camp or small group, like the phases today is a stabilization based workout. Tomorrow might be strength endurance. The next day might be a power or you earn the right to progress through. I'm still going to always start. Wendy, I know you do this. Always start with some core stabilization. I don't care if I'm going to be doing plyos later. I'm still just mentally getting those muscles firing. And Think about the people that have been up since five o'clock in the morning, sat in a car for 30 minutes to drive to work, sat at a desk for eight hours, sat in a car 30 minutes before they came to your class, potentially. It's not a bad idea to get the core fired up from a stabilization standpoint, working on breathing techniques before you get into it. So we know that that's optional in the strength or power levels, but don't think about not using it as a continuum, just like the flexibility. So planks are great, side planks, plank walks, getting them you know, moving around, even a high plank, bridge progressions. Then now that the core is fired up from a stability standpoint, you can start doing any type of crunch progressions. Now you can do some total body movement with your bear crawls and three planes of motion. You're getting frontal, sagittal, transverse plane, getting that co-contraction of the rotator cuff. And then we, after we fire up the core, we get into some balance work because you're more than likely you're going to have them walk or run or jump or hop if you're doing some type of, you know, plyos or speed agility quickness. So that single leg balance with reach in all planes, just again, getting that foot and ankle to fire and warm up. Then you can start bending the knee, right? Because we go from stability to strength. So now we're adding movement of the stance leg in the single leg squat or single leg remaining deadlifts. And then now when they're really going, they can do a lunge to balance. They can do reverse lunges, stationary. You have multi-planar walking. Depends on how much space I have, right? You may need to keep everybody 
in their area, or you may be outside where you can have a bigger space and move people around. And then for the plyos, squat jump with hold, then you can do a, a jump lunge or burpees. And even with your squat jumps, you can have a progression regression on either side, right? It could be a kind of a, that repeat jump, which would be more of our strength phase. But you could say, hey, for those that aren't feeling it today, I want you to do less reps and you're going to hold the bottom. For those that are feeling it, you can do them at even a little quicker pace. So that way you're using the model kind of as a teaching cue, and that's your progressions and regressions. So a lot we could kind of dive into on this slide. But I just wanted to kind of give the, you know, the higher arching overview of what we're doing here. And you know what? I, I was looking at, at what was on the bullet points and I'm thinking, man, that's a pretty good program. You could just go straight through and use this one if you want and try it out with your people. Wendy, I know you created it. So you want to it. I get it. I'm just so saying, fun. if you have people that are going into stable, you know, it, it, like more, they're more advanced. So you don't want to do some of this stuff on day one. Like when I say plank walks, they may not be ready. They're definitely maybe not ready for three planes of motion bear crawls, but you know, you could do the first set in sagittal plane. You could do the second set in the frontal plane, third set in all of this in transverse plane, do it three times and then do a really good warm up and cool down. And there's your, there's yeah. your boot camp for the day. And, and when, if you think about it, the bear crawl and even the planks, are getting people ready for that burpee, right? You shouldn't mm -hmm. just for the first time drop to the ground and get your hands ready to react to the forces of the ground, right? So in the plank, in the bear crawls, you're getting those muscles warmed up and you're communicating, hey, here's what it feels like to have your hands on the ground. But a lot of times people are coming right in. One of the first things they do is they just drop to the ground and do a burpee and their core's not ready. Their wrists aren't ready. So that's there's a lot of progression behind this that you and I see. Someone else might be like, oh, that's just a great workout. And it's just a prep. But I think it's also important to, to be creative. And we talk about that all the time. You want to have fun, especially if you're working with the younger folks. So if you've got some youth athletes, speed ladders and doing different types of shuttle runs and cone drills and penalty box and shadow boxing, all of that is super fun for them. And it's also fun for the, the adults, too, because it kind of brings us back a little bit to our childhood where we have to think, use our brains. We have to connect our brains with our muscles and our body. And hopefully you as the instructor are constantly keep your feet straight. Hey, make sure that you've got good alignment here. Watch your knee over this. Or how fast can you go? How well can you change positions? So there are so many different ways of utilizing the things that are around you, again, whether you're inside or outside but you want to make sure that it's smart. And even when you're working with the senior population, all of this still applies. To Marty's point, you might have to regress something. The speed ladder may be just walking through and having them memorize patterns. We know, unfortunately, as we get older, sometimes we're losing it a little bit more upstairs. So it requires us to use our brain a little harder and think about things that we're not used to doing and providing different outside stimulus that they may not be getting on their own until they're with you. So you want it to be safe, but just know, be creative in all populations. And I think this is something that we can really benefit through. And usually with seniors in small group training, it's also very good for them because it socializes with, with others as well. You know, this is critically important. It's important that we start to learn to move through space reactions, you know, and change of direction, acceleration, deceleration, great for the heart, but also just from a safety standpoint, right? You might step off a curb. Hopefully you've had to react quickly before. 
Good stuff. So then we get into the resistance. This is what most people think about in a program. So look at how much work we did before. So push up with rotation, a Spider-Man, a mountain climber, again, a total body, right? You're getting that work, a lot of work done in a short period of time because most small group trainings could be less than an hour. I see a lot of 45 minutes, a lot of 30. Doesn't mean I don't see the hour, but you know, you've got a lot to get through because again, you're going to have some time in transition and coaching a lot of people. So I love these type of exercises. Leg circuits, Wendy, we all know you love them, even though you don't do them, you make everybody else do them. So it could be a series of squats to lunges, to hops, to things like that. Wendy's got, she'll give you the contact information later if you want uh, some examples of different leg circuits. Wendy's got them all. And then single leg windmills. This is a great way to get that single leg stability, hip internal rotation. If you're rotating over the stance leg, thoracic rotation, core stabilization, really going to get the glutes and all the stabilization muscles in the lower extremity fired up. So, um, then single leg shoulder combos one and two, you don't need any weights, just that slow controlled tempo. The weight of your arm is plenty, especially as you pitch forward. Now you're getting core activation. And then we have things like bands. It's very easy to travel with bands. You can do partner rows, rows, depending if you have an anchor point, lateral raise, presses and pulls. Obviously, Wendy's always going to put the gun show in there, the buys and tries. And then you can do things like squat to press. So with between body weight, control and tempo, and then bands, you can really get a highly impactful resistant training program in. Yes. And these, again, slow and control. If you're doing phase one, speed it up, add more resistance if you're doing that, or doing things in a power level. So it doesn't matter. And, and that's the beauty of the model. You want to make sure that the clients are prepared for that that they've kind of even gone through the assessment. If you start to see that things are cleaning up, even what you're doing on the prep side, go through the model, even in small groups, and maybe you start to individualize. But the most important concept, I think out of all of this, Marty, we've said it, I'm going to say it again. You have to have progressions and regressions mm -hmm. because not everybody in that small group is going to be on the exact same page. So you have to be able on the fly to say, Hey, instead of doing this, like Marty, you gave the example on the jumping, you know, yes, do it slow, hold the bottom, maybe don't leave the ground, but do it in a faster pace without leaving the ground because it's not safe for your landing mm -hmm. at this moment because you still can't control knee valgus when you're landing. So you're working towards trying to get better movement. And just think if you put someone through just even a portion of this, they are going to get a very, very good workout. And you can make sure that if you take a lot of this, this could be something you do over the next two weeks. So when we provide these examples, it's just to let you know what Marty and I have done with our people. We know that works. There's also some underlying thing behind it. As Marty always says, we're giving them what they want because they're in a group. They're with their friends. They're having a fun time, but we're giving them what they need, really trying to fire muscles that we know are usually weaker. Right. And again, use that warm up time to prep saying more is not better. Better is better. I'm purposely going to be slowing you down today. Right. So that way they're not like, oh, I got to get 10 more reps in. Not necessarily. It might be, can I do three reps slow and controlled during this 30 seconds? So that's where that warm-up time really helps you set the stage. Then setting up the stations, safety has to be, you know, something we're looking at. So we, Wendy and I can't give you the rules for every environment, but obviously the group size is going to dictate the station numbers. Right. You're going to try to map it out. Are there, there two people in one spot? Does everybody need their own spot? What does my environment look like? And it's going to change if you all of a sudden we're training inside and then you go outside. So you'll see we listed here a handful of bullet points. You know, can things be done with or without partners? 
what's the equipment, right? Am I bringing music? Am I bringing dumbbells, tubings, cones? What if, you know, if we're going outside, what's my plan if the weather's not good? Things like that. Is that even if it's just a little rainy, is that going to change the safety? Or if, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I live in Florida, the humidity kicks in and around May. And now all of a sudden the grass would be wetter than in before. People bringing towels. These are things you have to look at. So this is kind of those third and fourth bullet points kind of blended together. And then you need to get paid for your services. Set that up at the very beginning so you're not chasing people for their money, right? Have them pay ahead of time, right? The night before, weeks ahead, you got Venmo, PayPal, Zelle. When you and I didn't have these, we sound like dinosaurs, at least I do when I say this, <laughs> right? At the very beginning. So things have gotten a lot easier. So Apple Pay, et cetera. So find one that works and now you're good to go. And I think that's important too with the payment plan because you can do month. People ask, you know, what did you do in 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 your your world? Again, this was a while ago, but we would do they would pay for the month, and we were inside, so weather was not something I needed to worry about. But they would come, okay, three days a week or two days a week, and depending on the days and how they set up, and they would be within their group, and you know, depending on how they all signed up was how much they owed, and so they would calculate it, and whether they came or not, they paid for the month no matter what. There was no cancellation policy. It was cheaper for them to do that than one-on-one. -on -one. However, I needed to get paid. I might not be able to fill that spot. I didn't want to put someone else in place of that because we're working out as a group and I would go through and literally try to individualize what, what was best in, in the best interest of that group. However, as, as Marty and I just said, now that you've got Venmo, PayPal, and Zelle and whatever, if you've got that set up, when they walk through the doors, that's when they're swiping or before they get started, okay, we have five people joining us today. The cost is going to be this. We do that with tennis. I do that with our tennis coach. We have practices every Sunday. We know how many people are going to show up. We actually practice, we count, and then we Venmo him before we leave. So you have so many different ways of doing that. But to Marty's point, don't have to chase someone down and don't say, oh, okay, you can pay me later because that later may not have come and you've already provided that service. So you want to make sure that you are very, very good at taking payment and asking for the money. Show me the money. <laughs> so that I, I think I've heard that before somewhere when I can't quite place it. But so the key takeaways, we even talked about it. We'll always talk about it. So just be used to us having this as a key takeaway in many of our presentations. Assessments are going to be key, even in our group. Then, you know, we've got the OPT model. That's going to be your best friend at all times. Just because we're doing group, because we're doing one-on-one, -on -one, because we're doing, it doesn't matter. You're going to follow to some level, how you can program throughout that OPT model, then you can be creative with it. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Maybe your first set is stabilization, second set is strength endurance, third set's power, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you'd use the model differently. There's a lot of things. But of course, the five Ks, five kinetic chain checkpoints have to still be a part of your conversation, your topic, and your observation. And then most importantly, once you're doing all that, you still got to have fun. Girls just want to have fun. Man, is that Cindy Lopper? <laughs> I'm just full of it today, aren't I? Gary McGuire, Cindy Lopper, our I producers mean, talking about the Arizona Sun Devils. I get it. It's just all coming together today. It's just, it's just, it's in the stars, Marty. But it if you guys want to contact her, but at least I knew what we were talking about. I know. If you guys want to contact me, you can always find me via email at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. My info will be right here, dr.martymiller72 on Instagram and my email. 
marty.miller at nasm.org. So Wendy, great topic. Thanks for bringing this one up today. You know, we get a lot of these topics by you guys reaching out to either one of us. So thank you so much for joining. And absolutely, we are looking forward to seeing you next week on another version of our Master Instructor Roundtable.